Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Linda Holmes. It's Bullseye. It's a collaboration that's lasted 35 years now, and it's still going strong. Amy Ray and Emily Saliers, the Indigo Girls. You know them, right? Closer to Fine, Galileo, The Power of Two. Chase all the ghosts from your head. I'm stronger than a monster beneath your bed. Smarter than the chicks played on your Amy and Emily have been writing, arranging, and performing together since high school. They recorded these quiet, beautiful melodies, usually using pretty simple arrangements. An acoustic guitar, maybe a mandolin or electric guitar for a flourish. To a lot of people, though, the Indigo Girls are more than a band. Amy and Emily have been out as lesbians for much of their adult lives, and they spoke out for LGBTQ rights at a time when that could have major consequences on a performer's career. They've long been activists with indigenous communities, particularly with regard to environmental issues. They started the nonprofit Honor the Earth. Those themes come up in their music, too, but at the heart of a lot of their songs are two people singing together beautifully. And they're still going strong. The band has a new album. It's called Look Long, and it just dropped last month. Let's listen to a song from it. This one's called Change My Heart. Amy Ray, Emily Saliers, welcome to Bullseye. Thanks. Thank you. I have to say, I arrived at Oberlin in the fall of 1989, and I think the whole time I was there, you were probably the artists most likely to float out into the hallway through anybody's open door, mine included, so it's great to get a chance to talk to you. And my sister went to Oberlin. Aha. <laughs> That's where it was coming from. Uh, It's a huge understatement to say that this album is coming out in a different environment than uh, the other ones that you've done. One thing that you've specifically been known for is that you're on the road all the time. Now we're all staying in. The tour was canceled. What has it been like having a record go out into the world without you being able to see people and have them see you? Well, it's definitely different from, you know, our norm. But one thing about us is we've kind of always been able to adapt (laughs) to different situations and that's good. But I also think like this time is just prescient for so many reasons that you look at it and think like, well, 
it's not about like whether it's a good or a bad time to release a record because that's kind of the least of it. It's just like looking at it and saying right, like sure. what's going like what's going on around us. Like this is, I mean, COVID and and then now this and the triumph of all the protesters and the just the major strides that hopefully are going to stick and um, really turn into something positive for change in our social justice. And um, I don't know. I just think it's like, it's a mind boggling time. I haven't even wrapped my head around it, to be honest, you know? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure anybody has wrapped their head around it. And you, you both have daughters at home, right? Yeah, we've got, uh, my wife and I have a seven-year-old and Amy's daughter is six years old. What, what has the quarantine parenting been like? It's been, for me, it's been like a mixed bag, you know, like this is Amy. Um, I, like my child was really into the homeschooling thing and she actually took to it really well and, and quite enjoyed it. And, uh, her dad is in our life and her dad's partner is like the guy that kind of is like our Manny in a way. So she loves him to death. And so the fact that she got to spend more time with him and with us, cause we would split up who did the school on what day. So that was kind of fun. And, but I have, and, and it's been like a blessing to be home with her a lot, but I've definitely seen, you know, cracks in the, in the surface there. And she's had a couple of moments when she's talked to me about what's going on. And I can tell she's just like really thinking about it a lot. She's very stoic. I mean, she's really funny too. Like she's got, she makes a lot of jokes all the time. Like she likes knock, knock jokes. And so she's joking around all the time. But every now and then I see her and I can just catch this expression on her face and I know what she's thinking about, you know, and she'll say like, you know, after the virus or something like that, like she's always prefacing everything with, it's always like after the virus or before the virus, do you remember this? And so, you know, but now with all the protesting and stuff, I mean, she goes to a Quaker school, so there's a lot of activism at that school already. And they do a lot of demonstrations generally as part of the school curriculum. So um, this has been a really important moment for her to just start learning about this social justice, you know, and how important it is. So there's a lot of stuff going on and it's all been for oh my, I, I don't know what Emily, you've got your own. We were, my family was down in Florida for the beginning of the isolation. And so we started doing the, uh, some schooling at home. And it was, she, uh, my daughter was really resistant at first. She had this beloved first grade teacher and she was really sad that she couldn't continue uh, her first grade with her teacher. So I think she was resistant to her parents teaching her, but then we got into a routine. We sort of figured out a schedule and I've, I've been realizing how much kids need a certain amount of routine And then when we got back to Georgia and the school year officially ended, we sort of had to figure out a way to delineate the school year from summertime and when she can play and which friends she can play with in our little pod and stuff like that. So there's been some adjustment. She's very resilient, as a lot of kids are. And, you know, she is anxious about the virus and she's been anxious about protests, but we went to our first protest where we live in, you know, in the suburbs of Atlanta and she, we all wore our masks and we went there and she listened. She stood on her feet for two hours 
listen to the speakers and the singers and the people who'd been affected by police violence in our community. And then we marched and I was really proud of her to overcome that fear. But so I know that she has that anxiety beneath the surface, but there's been a lot of serious stuff. But in between that, she's been playing with her pod of friends. I also want to ask you about, uh, just to shift gears a little bit, the new record also has a song on it called Country Radio about a gay kid who loves country music. I want to hear a little bit of that. I work at the mall food court When I get home I fix something to eat Settle into my seat And turn on the country radio I know every word To every song And they make these lonely nights A little less long Cause then I'm under the stars Regular at the bar Got a perfect girl I got a warning truck We go down to the river And the moonlight is silver That's yours, right? Can you tell me a little bit about that song? Yeah, that song came about, um, I spent a lot of time in Nashville and, and I drive from Atlanta and then home from Nashville. And on the way home from Nashville, every single time I listen to country radio and I just pick up the stations as I can catch them on my drive home. And I listen to these songs. They're so well-crafted and well-sung. I've always loved country music and I love country, the sound of country singers' voices and the well-craftedness of the songs. And so I was listening to these stories and all these songs I love and I started to get this feeling that I could not fit my own life, my own queer life into these heteronormative songs. And it started to make me feel wistful and sort of other than And so I decided to write a song about that feeling. And it's completely autobiographical, except that I chose uh, a kid or a young person in a small town instead of me in in my own life environment. But it's meant to describe that feeling of otherness and not being represented in song or in culture. And it also talks about passing the church placards, of which I've seen plenty of myself that are they say that, you know, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell, you can't be gay, all those messages that come through organized religion. So it was a, it's a song that addresses that. When I when I heard this song, what it made me think of, um, I have to ask, do you know the story about running into you at Applebee's that is in the memoir of the writer Dave Holmes? <laughs> no, I heard that story. Okay, this is one of my favorites. For people who don't know, uh, the book is called Party of One. It's Dave Holmes' memoir. He's no relation to me, by the way. And Dave is talking about he was a senior in college. He was at a student leadership conference at Emory University. Uh, It was going very badly. He was uh, trying to figure out how to come out to his parents. And he was sitting out on the uh, patio at Applebee's with a bunch of friends getting drunk, telling them, I need someone to tell me what to do. And so I'm going to read a little bit of this and pick up from 
He says, we are now at the part of the story that you are not going to believe, but again, this actually happened. I sat back in my wrought iron patio seat, wiped my eyes and lit a Marlboro light. That's it. I exhaled. I just want someone to tell me what to do. These words left my mouth, and in the very next second, the door opened, and out onto the patio of the Applebee's across from Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, walked the Indigo Girls. The Indigo Girls, and not the Indigo Girls and their friends, not the Indigo Girls and their manager and publicist, just the Indigo Girls, just Amy and Emily taking some time out to enjoy some boneless wings with their choice of sauce. And Dave goes on to explain that he, because he was drunk, uh, turned to Emily, who he called Amy, and said, I am about to come out to my parents. And I don't know what to do. And that Emily said, coming out is hard. It's something you have to do on your own. You got to trust yourself. Patted him on the knee. And uh, and he says, I'll be damned if that wasn't the best advice I'd ever gotten. I flew home to St. Louis the next day and stood face to face with my parents and took a deep breath and immediately waited a couple more weeks and then came out to them. It was awful. And it took some time for things to be okay. But they were eventually. I trusted myself and I got through it. And the reason I, I ask you about that story <laughs> is... I feel when I heard that song, I thought it's sort of a it's a world full of Daves and Dave happens to be a, a gay man. But I think especially queer women, in my experience, talking to them who sort of want to come to you and say, what do I do? And I'm curious about whether you have that experience a lot, not that experience, but whether you feel that in the in your relationship with your fans. Well, we definitely hear a lot of queer people who come to us and tell us that our music helped them either through coming out or through the journey of accepting the reality of their sexuality or their gender uh, journeys or identification or non-identification or whatever, you know, the vast array of uh those struggles and those um, coming to terms with and reckonings and also epiphanies. And so we know that a lot of our fans do have used the music and the music has helped them to get through those times. It's really gratifying because, you know, for me and Amy, there were always artists who came before us who helped us with our own journeys. And so it's a little bit of just like being there at that particular time when those people are going through their own journeys and getting onto the music. And then there will be future musicians who speak to the next generations of journeyers. So it's really cool the way that works. And it's very gratifying to think that our music could be, that someone could take it along on their journey and um, it could alleviate their pain or help their struggle at all. It's really gratifying. We'll finish up with the Indigo Girls soon. Which Indigo Girls listening to Young Thug these days? Is it Emily? Is it Amy? The answer, after the break. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, y'all. I'm Sam Sanders, host of It's Been a Minute. There is a lot going on in the world. So on my show, my guest and I make sense of the news and culture through conversation. It feels like we're living in three movies at once. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It feels like a Mike Judge movie. It feels like a Spike mm -hmm. Lee movie, and it feels like a Michael Bay movie. Like <laughs> Every Tuesday and Friday, listen and subscribe now to It's Been a Minute from NPR. 
Listen, I'm a hotshot Hollywood movie producer. You have until I finish my glass of kombucha to pitch me your idea. Go. All right, it's called Who Shot Ya? A movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. I'm Ify Whitey the new host of the show and a certified BBN. BBN? Buff black nerd. I'm Alonzo Duraldi, an elderly gay and legit film critic who wrote a book on Christmas movies. I'm Drea Clark, a loud white lady from Minnesota. Each week, we talk about a new movie in theaters and all the important issues going on in the film industry. It's like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner meets Cruising. And if it helps seal the deal, I can flex my muscles while we record each episode. I'm sorry, this is a podcast? I'm a movie producer. How did you get in here? Iffy, quick, start flexing. Bicep, lats, chest. Who shot you? Dropping every Friday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Linda Holmes, in for Jesse Thorne. My guests are Emily Saliers and Amy Ray, the Indigo Girls. They have a new album out now. It's called Look Long. Let's get back into our conversation. I know it's hard to kind of lay out things like this for people who are outside of it, but what does your process look like for when a song, you write a song, and then you start working on that kind of arranging stuff? Well, usually we have a project in mind when we start arranging songs together, unless there's a specific thing that we're doing for a particular song. But typically, so for instance, we knew that we were going to be making this uh, look long, the newest album. We had started writing and collecting our songs. And then when we got to a point, even if we didn't have all the songs, we had a bulk of the songs that we felt pretty sure were going to go in the album. And then I, I'll send Amy demos of my songs, just like really like, you know, rough demos, singing the melody and playing the chords. And then Amy will do the same for me. We'll familiarize a little bit like that. Sometimes when we toured, we could hear each other practicing our newly uh, written songs during sound check. So we get, get a sense of them and then we get together. Like I'll drive up to Amy's house and we'll just sit down there and start hammering out ideas or Amy will come to my house and we'll sit and hammer out ideas. And so like the basic rule is that whoever wrote the song gets the last word on what she wants to accept for an arrangement, but there's a ton of brainstorming and we could literally go through a gazillion different note choices on one line. Um, and then Amy, Amy's usually more clear about the ideas she has in mind typically for her songs. And even for my songs, like she's really clear about, parts she wants to try and then we'll just try it and then we sort of land on something that feels really good and we'll record it and then we'll step away from it and then we know whether or not that arrangement is working and if it isn't we get back together and hammer out that song again and then we also try different instruments like Amy might say well I thought maybe uh the slide guitar would sound good on this so I'll take a slide guitar or Amy will play mandolin instead of acoustic or we'll use different capo positions and it is like this vast brainstorming sessions and they're exhilarating and they're hard work and they're tiring, but we just have a way of knowing when something is, is next to complete, if not complete in terms of the arrangement. And I, I, I think we both like write, you know, like I'll write, I'll write everything. Like I use a lyric, a lyric page and she'll write the lyrics out and I'll just diagram like all the finger positions and like I have all my chord diagrams from the last since 19, you know, 90. I actually write notes down, my harmony notes, and then I'll scribble them out, write the new set of them out because I have to have everything down on paper so I don't forget it. Emily works a slightly different way. 
And then sometimes we'll change. Like if, if I hear a recording of us doing a song that like trying it out and I'll know if the song needs to be fixed. So I'll rewrite the bridge or shorten the chorus or change something around. So there's also that, you know, that happens a lot, but we, we've pretty much had the same process ever since we started, which is, except the only thing being that when we first started, Emily would teach me how to sing harmony. And I had to learn, you know, really learn the part as if it was a separate melody. Cause I wasn't naturally just like a harmony singer. And now I can do it, you know, on my own more, but, um, that's really the only shift we've made. Yeah. It's interesting to me that you, I think a lot of, in a lot of collaborative relationships, there is a tendency for people to feel like, you know, the, the kind of public face of the thing is we do everything together. And it's interesting to me that the two of you have always maintained that, you know, person who wrote the song gets the last word, as you're saying, typically that's also the person who sings lead. It's interesting. I, I, it's interesting that you choose to kind of keep things a little bit separate. And I wonder how that helps to kind of keep everybody's creativity flowing, if that makes sense. I think it's key I mean, I don't think we could write together even if we wanted to, but I also think, um, yeah, it's fortunate actually because we, it helps us survive and stay together because we have our own creative space. I think it's just, we couldn't work any other way. And I don't think we could have been together this long if we tried to work the other way because you need your own expression, you know, and you need to have that moment to yourself to kind of work on something and figure it out. And we know that about each other and we know that about humans just generally earthlings need their own creative time so i think uh yeah i think that's part of the reason why we're still singing together for sure <laughs> no doubt about it yeah you know it's funny because as you say that i think oh I, I know a really good song that's kind of about that idea of um together but still individual and it's power of two and it's by you <laughs> so you probably know it <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh. You're very funny. <laughs> I want to talk about a couple of pieces of music. Um, is it still true? Do you think that the most likely thing for people to start singing when they hear your name is closer to fine? Or Galileo, maybe. Yeah, I would pick Galileo, but I feel like a lot of people pick closer to fine. Well, I think closer to fine, you know, it came from our first album with Epic and it got some, it got a lot of radio play relative to, you know, we're not really a radio hit band. So it sort of was part yeah. of that catalyst of when people first started to get to know us. Yeah, I have to tell you, I was I was singing college acapella like everyone did in the <laughs> late 80s and early 90s. Um, <laughs> was singing, singing college acapella and we did a um, we did a parody song to the tune of Closer to Fine that was about losing your college ID. Absolutely true. <laughs> Absolutely happened. That's amazing. I want to hear a, uh, a clip of it. This is Closer to Find from uh, 1989, a.k.a. the year Linda went to college. I'm trying to tell you something about my life. Maybe give me insight between black and white. And the best thing you ever done for me used to help me take my life less seriously. It's only life after all, yeah. Well, darkness has a hunger that's insatiable, and lightness has a call that's hard to hear. And I wrap my fear around me like a blanket. And I sail my ship of safety till I sink it. I'm crawling on your shores. And I 
I'm sorry. I was, uh, I think we're having an interview, but I was just listening to the song. <laughs> How do you bring new energy to a song like that when it is burned into people's brains? I mean, you have a couple of live albums. I particularly am a fan of 1200 Curfews and the song starts and everybody, ah! How do you bring something new to that song when you perform it now? Well, a lot of times how it's done is that whoever's opening the show that night comes and sings and usually he or she or they will sing the last verse, take the last verse, ah. and, th- and then they add harmony to the verses. And every once in a while, a fan from the audience will come up and sing it. And so we just sometimes we have people jump up and play percussion on it or someone will know how to play uh the penny whistle or whatever it is. And so we just sort of make it like a hootenanny song at the end. And that definitely keeps it fresh. I mean, it's, it's fun to play. And a lot of times the audience will sing one of the verses, either the second or the third, and they, they just sing it so boisterously. And I just look out at faces and we're all having a good time. And it's just a moment, you know, where music feels really good and like we're all in it together. So that each night is different when we sing the song. And uh, I don't know why I don't get tired of doing it. And I hope Amy doesn't either, because we're kind of stuck with it in a way. (laughs) Amy, are you tired of it? No, I, I, I agree about it's a moment, you know, I'm not tired of it at all. I think it's a great song. I think it's, I appreciate Emily writing it because it sure has, it's been a good rallying point for the audience to kind of all sing together. And, and also it's just great to have the guests sing a verse. And I think things like, I'll think about the lyrics sometimes and I'll think like, who is she talking to when she says, I'm trying to tell you something about my life? Like who is the you? So I go into my own (laughs) Mm -hmm. spiral about like trying to remember Emily's life that year that she wrote it and who she's talking to while she's singing the song, which she never will tell me, but yeah, but uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. (laughs) It's the it's the young me going. Listen, oh. I listen. I have something to say. <laughs> You're talking to yourself. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the young me talking to the great they. Oh, <laughs> you know? okay, okay. Oh, the great they. I it's see. Like, I see. Like, if I don't tell you this, I'm gonna explode. Okay. <laughs> something right. like that. That's cool. Well, we talked a little bit about Closer to Fine and also Galileo as a kind of a, an iconic Indigo Girls song. Let's hear a little bit of Galileo. Galileo's head was on the block The crime was looking up the truth And as the bombshells of my daily fears explode I try to trace them to my youth And then you Reincarnation over a couple of beers the other night, and now I'm serving time for mistakes made by another in another lifetime. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galilee. So why why reincarnation? It just happened. It was a real conversation I had with my friend. And we just, she was over at my house and we were drinking some beer and she was a staunch believer in reincarnation. And we just talked about the differences in our thoughts about that. And then 
I started thinking about, well, if we're getting better each time we're reincarnated, then, you know, I still have a long way to go. So it's not over yet. And then who knows why I jumped to Galileo. I guess I admired his, I didn't think it was, I don't think it's good for institutions to threaten to put someone to death for discovering something that's true. That bothered me. So I used him as an example of an elevated soul and, and, uh, and it's a little bit tongue in cheek too, you know, with, I had Shirley MacLaine in mind a little bit and, uh, it's a pop song in the end. So just, uh, you know, all that stuff put together, but it started from a conversation. And before I let you go, what are you listening to right now while we're all shut up in our homes? Well, I always listen to Bonnie Iver. I always listen to Young Thug, Katie Pruitt's new music for pop music. I really like Halsey a lot. I've been listening to her. I'm obsessed with the Cyrus singers, Noah and Miley Cyrus. As soon as I stop talking about what I'm listening to, I'll remember a hundred things else, but that's kind of, <laughs> sure. That's kind of part of it. I've been, I was looking at my records cause I have like a record player downstairs and I got one upstairs and I just, rotate where the records are but right now what I'm what I've got on my turntable is Kate Tempest and her first record and I've been listening to Bob Wills and Tommy Duncan with the Texas Playboys and uh I've been listening to Brent Cobb uh, Americana artist and uh I've been trying to learn about jazz so I've got some a John Coltrane and a Miles Davis and a Thelonious Monk record that I'm rotating around to try to learn how what is jazz so I really I really know nothing about it and I've been wanting to learn more about it. So that's kind of where I'm at. And then I listen to a lot of kids uh, movie soundtracks because that's what my child listens oh, to. Sure. <laughs> so I've got sure. I'm very familiar with Moana and Aladdin and Frozen, of course. And then my kid is really into Beethoven right now, which is odd, um, but beautiful. So we listen to these little piano simplified piano Beethoven things for kids because she's just like she'll actually be like that's a beautiful song what is that called like she'll she recognizes things so that's what's happening in my musical life right now <laughs> and of course Bon Iver like Emily said we both Emily and I both like are shameless like fans of of Justin and Bon Iver we we that's the that's our that's what me and Emily have in common the most is that we think he's one of the most brilliant creatures that ever walked the earth. All that, all that winter in Wisconsin, it's very, very deeply moving to me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you guys, I, I appreciate this so much and obviously needless to say, appreciate your work, uh, me and my friends and my acapella group. Appreciate you very much. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Amy Ray and Emily Saliers, the Indigo Girls. Their newest album, Look Long, is out now. You can stream it or buy it pretty much anywhere. Let's go out on one more song from the band, favorite of mine. This one is called Get Out the Map. Get out the map, get out the map, lay your finger anywhere down. Believe the figure into those we pass on our way out of town. We'll drink the water, there seems to be something in
That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around various parts of the country. It's hot. Our colleague Stacy Molsky started a garden a few months ago and this week received a complimentary Thai basil plant. It came from the owner of Jitlada, one of LA's most popular restaurants. She's found that it prospers better indoors when it's hot. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien and Jordan Cowling. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. You can keep up with the show on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Mine is thanks, Jesse. Get out the map, get out the map and lay your Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Don't drink the water,